Welcome back, everybody, to The Unveiling. Thank you for joining us again. This is our fourth week discussing end-time prophecy and the current events that are going on in the news cycles today. I'm, Ta- I'm Pastor Thomas Belcher. I'm with my wife, Kelly Belcher. Hello. And, and TJ. How is everybody tonight? And again, Mr. Gage McPherson. Here I am. Here we go. This is number four. Episode number four. Four weeks. Four weeks. If you are just now joining in, and so this may be your, the first time that you have caught um, one of our podcasts, you, um, if you'll go back to last week, we went. We had begun going over um, the timeline that God gave us in the Bible, the church age timeline um, that kind of shows us throughout history the different um, uh, ways that the church would be. It kind of tells you exactly that how the church would be governed. And we went over last week the image in uh, the book of Daniel that um, that was prophetic of the timeline of the governments that would rule the earth up until uh, the second coming of Jesus. And so uh, if you're just now tuning in this week, you want to go back and we'll go uh, and give a little bit of a back on the church ages, but you may want to go back and watch last week so that you can um, get the full uh, spectrum of the, the church ages. But um, we, we talked last week a little bit about... Um, about the Daniel vision and how the uh, the image that uh, Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon saw in the book of Daniel, and uh, Daniel began to prophesy the governments that would rule the world. This was during the time of Babylon, and he said, you know, the head of gold would be would be Babylon, and then he said that there will be two. Um, the arms of silver would be the Medes and the Persians that would come in and divide the kingdom. Then the thighs of brass would be Greek through Alexander the Great, that he would come in and then he would pretty much have the world superpower for the time. And then after Greece, um, Rome would be the next one with the legs of iron. And because the legs are split, that Rome would be divided and uh, into two. And then at the end, the last governments that would rule would be the feet of clay and iron mixed because of intermarriage. And we talked about what that means of the intermarriage. It says that that they will be weak and strong because of intermarriage. And we talked a little bit about last week how in the book of Deuteronomy, God says that there is seven, um, there was seven giant nations that he told the children of Israel, whatever you do, do not intermarry with these because they are stronger than you and you are weaker than they are. And if you intermarry with them um, because of they are from the giants, which is where we get um, the word Gentiles from, is uh, those that descended from the giants. But because of their, do not intermix with them. And if you do, it will mess you up. And then we talked um, shortly about the 10 uh, uh, tribes of Israel that went into rebellion against the um, tribe of Judah and David's lineage. This uh, ten tribes of Israel were led into rebellion by the tribe of Dan and Ephraim, and they became the ten rebellious tribes. And so we talked about these ten toes that were iron mixed with clay, and then we talked about a little bit about in Revelation how the the beast that had the seven heads and the ten horns um, were the same. And so we see here that they split um, the ten toes of iron mixed with clay. The split Roman Empire became the European Empire. 
And so that's where we left off there is that we are at the bottom of the toes. If you want to know where we're at historically as far as end times, we are at the toes. We're at the very last part. Uh, we're probably actually at the end of the toenail of the toes as far as the end time uh, goes. Yep, yep, the calluses of the feet. We're at the callus. We're at the callus of the feet. That's an uncomfortable place for me. I don't like toes. Yes, uh, Chip's, not, Chip's not big into feet. Well, apparently God is not either because if in the vision uh, in Daniel, they, he saw a rock cut out of, uh, that what that came down and squished the toes and went up and cracked down the whole image. And that rock will be Jesus with his second coming because he will be the last world power ruler that will rule at the very end for a thousand years millennial reign. And he will topple all of the false governments that has ruled the world before. And so we talked about how in Daniel, God gives um, the, the Jewish people a timeline to kind of show them how it's going to plan out and how it's going to work. It's, it's a mystery of, the, of this vision is kind of giving us um, a timeline. And so I'll stop there and say this. You always hear people when they talk about end-time prophecy, they always say, you know, nobody knows the day or the hour. I mentioned this uh, last week, and I'll mention it again probably a few different times um, when we do these things, is you can't really know the day or the hour because um, – there's a different day and hour depending upon where you're at in the world. So it would be possible, impossible for God to actually give us a day and hour. But God did say that you will know the season of his return. And so he also says that he doesn't do anything without first revealing it to his prophets. Amen. And so God has given us um, different guidelines and different things to look at to let us know where we're at in time. Another thing that I'm, I'm going to bring up again um, this week in case it is somebody's first time is watching is that most people that talk about the Lord coming back or they talk about, you know, I've heard it my whole life. I want to clarify if you this is your first time or second time listening in that if in May, in May 1948, Israel became a nation again in one day, which fulfilled a prophecy in Isaiah 66 that we've been talking about the last couple of weeks. And in Isaiah 66, it says that when Israel becomes a nation again in one day, flowers will begin to bloom again. And it says that it will be the birthing pains will begin. Well, then we see in Matthew 24 that Jesus says that when you see the fig tree begin to bloom again, that you and then you will know that the generation that saw this happen will not pass away until he returns. Now, this return that he was referring to was the second coming. And so that was 73 years ago that Israel became a nation in one day. So for the last 73 years, when the church world saw that prophecy be fulfilled, they have been looking for his return because he said the generation that saw this will not pass away until they see his return. So we're looking at 73 years um, right now of when they saw these things happen. So we're at the end. We're at the toes. We're at the end of the last generation of when Jesus is to return. If you can't see that by watching your news, then you may want to turn off your local news channel and start looking into some global news that is happening. Um, I think a lot of the reasons that people in America have a hard time really paying attention to knowing what's one, we stay so distracted by everything. And, mm -hmm. you know, we're so distracted by our gadgets and electronics and um, social media 
and things like that that we don't pay attention to to worldwide um, happenings that goes on across the world. Shoot, it's hard to keep up with what's going on in front of our face and in our own households, much less keep right. up with the world. Mm. And we're running, you know, people are running the to and fro, which, by the way, is another prophecy. Um, in the book of Daniel, it says in the last days that people will be running to and fro all over the earth and knowledge will increase. And, um, and knowledge has increased. Uh, and so we, we see here that we're, we're at a time to where if you, if you don't pay attention to what's going on, you can very well have not have ears to hear or eyes to see. But um, as Americans, we're so Americanized, we're so everything revolves around America, that we don't pay attention to most Bible prophecy is, uh, is always towards Israel. It, it takes place, you know, towards Israel or towards the different parts of the world. Now, I do, we'll get to this on, on another um, podcast, and I'm excited about getting to it. I, I, America is in prophecy 100%. Mm-hmm. Um, and, it, and it does play a, a big part in prophecy, which a lot of people have said, well, we don't know if it does or not, but I can I will show you at a later podcast that it 100% is in prophecy and plays a large role. That is assuming we're still here. Well, if we're still here before yeah. until that podcast. If yeah. not, then you'll have to. Uh, come to, you know, uh, read your Bible and for yourself and kind of see what we're talking about, yeah, which is our whole goal here as well. Trying to get at, to trying to get people's attention on what day we live in, um, because the Bible says that it'll take people that are not watching and waiting unaware. And so we last week we began talking about how God gave the Gentile church, which began in Acts, the book of Acts, when the Holy Spirit was given out, it became the birthday of the Gentile uh, believers. Um, and God gives the Gentile church also a timeline of telling them, um, giving them an idea of when his return will be and at the, at the last thing. And, it, and God did it so specific. And, and this, this prophecy is so word for word crazily um, that it's mind-blowing to me how people cannot, how people would even doubt the word of God because it, it, there's so many prophecies that have been fulfilled, but not just easily fulfilled prophecies, prophecies that are down to the very nitty-gritty exact um, what he said would happen. And so last week we talked about it and what each church in Revelation and why would the churches put in the book of Revelation to begin with when the book of Revelation is all about the revealing and the unveiling of Jesus Christ and the whole story of how he began to redeem us and how it's all going to pan out at the end. And so all of a sudden, he's writing letters to churches. And he's writing to these letters. And we talked about last week how these seven churches were actual real churches that in Asia at the time. But they're also, just like the Bible is with everything, uh, it, the Bible is so, it's, it is so profound and God is so profound that a lot of things in the Bible will be actual events that happen, but they will also be foreshadowings of the future they will be things that we need personally. There'll be things for the church um, uh, that the church as a whole may need. And when we look at these seven churches right here, it, 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 there's a, it's actually threefold meanings. It, they were talking to actual churches that were around at that time. But also, this could be a time in any believer's life. You could be in the place that each of these seven churches were. Um, I would also like to say just real quick before we get into these church ages, this is so interesting. 
But if if people will will step away from the the King James version of the Bible and get a Bible a version that they can understand, like the NLT, the New Living Translation, it will open the Bible up to them. We tell people to read the Bible, but but most people will go to the King James and they don't understand a word of it hardly because we don't speak Old English. Now, before all the King James um, religious people began to batter and attack. Uh, let me just say this. King James Version was a translation of the Bible. The Bible was written originally in Greek, Hebrew, and Aramaic. There was a couple of chapters in Daniel that was written in Aramaic. And so the Bible was written in those original languages. So any translation you read is a translation. And it was translated, um, the King James Version was translated by the Roman Catholic Church, by King James, got people to translate it himself. And King James was not just a godly, wonderful, fantastic God like all of um, you know, specialists in the South uh, that are so uh, attached to our King James Bible. Now I read uh, the King James, I quote the King James because I grew up uh, reading out of the King James, but I also have learned that many people will not even pick up their Bible or read it because they cannot comprehend it because we don't speak anywhere near like they spoke back then. And that was me growing up. I, I had to, I, I could not understand it well. And I would go to church and listen to the, the preacher, uh, you know, preach out of the Bible. I still didn't understand what he was saying when he was quoting it from the pulpit. Mm -hmm. I just had to take his word for it that he was translating it to me the correct way. But once I started reading the NLT version, the Bible come alive to me, and wow. I understood it. So and people, that's why I say a what lot I say. of people will pick nitpick um, <laughs> translations apart. I studied for a long time to find one that I could offer people to read that maybe could not understand what King James was saying, um, and and found the NLT because it, it it made it come alive and it was so much easier to understand. But you know, America when America was formed. The Puritans and the Pilgrims that came into America, they wouldn't even read out of the King James mm -hmm. Version Bible because of the Roman Catholic Church had martyred and killed and massacred so many of them that they didn't have any um, desire to to have anything to do with the Roman Catholic Bible. That's right. And so they read out of the Geneva Bible um, was the Bible that they used. And King James was brought back into the church uh, later on and, and reintroduced back into it. But you know, I will say this for all the the if you ain't King James Version, it ain't the Bible. Bible, uh, people, you may want to do a little bit of history searching in it because one, um, King Henry VIII that had um, his wives beheaded, he added um, uh, some of to the to the Lord's Prayer in the King James Version Bible, uh, where it says, "To thine is the kingdom, the power, the glory, forever and ever." Amen. He added that. Now you may say, "Well, that's not that bad." What he said, but the fact of the matter is, it don't matter if what he said was wonderful. You just don't add um, to the Word of God. Uh, the Catholic Church was known for taking out books, adding books, things like that. And so, you know, taking a version and saying it's the only version that people can read is almost a is a religious spirit and a religious injustice because you're telling people if you don't read this version of this Bible, then you're not really reading the Bible. But And so it keeps so many people that to just put it down because they can't comprehend it. And it's what's most important is to read the Word of God. Amen. What's most important is to understand and, and comprehend what you're reading and be able to take it in so that it can change your life. And um, I had somebody the other day make a comment on my post that said something about in some of these translations that the scripture that once said, the lion shall lay down with the lamb, when it talks about um, 
when it's talking about the new millennial reign uh, when there's complete peace on earth. And they're talking about how evil translations are because they changed the line with the lamb. But the fact of the matter is that the, the point of that verse is to say that there will be no more predators and prey. That during the new Jerusalem and new um, millennial reign, it says the children will be able to play in a cockatrice's nest or a snake's nest. And so, and then it says that a lion will be able to lay down with a predator, is what the original would say. It's it, uh, uh, whether it be a wolf or whether it be a, uh, a lion that it uses as a predator, the whole point of it is that there will be no predator, there will be no more prey. And so, you That's know, you, but people will say, oh, well, that, that was changed. It now says wolf, so they've changed the whole Bible. Well, the the King James Version was from Roman Catholicism. Um, and King James, you know, he had his mother beheaded. That was not a very nice thing to do. Um, and was rumored to be homosexual. So you, you can look at any version and find um, something and say, oh, well, well, this person did this, or I don't like this part about it. But the fact of the matter is, is I believe that God is very faithful in keeping his word intact to the point to where He's not going to let his word disappear. The Bible says the grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of God will stand forever. And so I don't believe that God, uh, the enemy is able to take the word of God and twist it into a way that we can't be able to read it. Um, now you can go, now like Chip talked about last week, China is completely doing crazy stuff with their Bible and saying that Jesus stole the, the woman caught in adultery and things like that. But the best thing for you to do is get a Bible you can understand and then get you a good concordance or um, or nowadays we have our phones so you can Google yeah. and Google the original translation or read something and if you're if you're thinking hey well what does the actual Hebrew say of this that's good um, Hebrew would be that's the Old advice. Testament Greek New Testament and or what is the original Greek in this you Google it and, and you can look up the actual original text and see if what you're reading sounds exactly like it it's with 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 technology at our hands um, so easily it's very easy to check. Uh, for yourself. Yeah. Honestly, I think we'd be lucky just to have anybody uh, stop just showing up, hearing the word, and not going back to home and reading the word. Because if we did that, a lot of you would be out searching for a, a church that actually preached what was in the Bible, not what they felt like preaching that day. Well, that was, that's the problem with the Roman Catholic Church is at the time the Bible was only written, had been translated in Latin. And so no one was even allowed to have a Bible except for the church and the popes, the priests, and such. We'll, so get, forth. To that. we'll get to that church age in a minute, won't yeah. we? <laughs> and um, and so, so people didn't know what the Bible said. But last week, we'll go a quick overview. Last week, we started with the church age. Uh, the first church age was Ephesus. And that church, the word Ephesus means the desired one. And that was from 30 A.D. to 100 A.D. This church was the church that happened right after Jesus rose from the dead um, and went up to heaven and the Holy Spirit was given out and this church was going out and they were spreading the gospel like wildfire and doing the Great Commission. But they were so busy working for God that they left out their one-on-one time with the Lord. Then the second church age, Smyrna, means bitter. That word means bitter or as myrrh. And the Smyrna church age was from approximately 54 A.D. Uh, and this is when there was um, 10 Roman, different Roman emperors that persecuted, martyred, killed um, the church. They they were Nero, Domitian, Trajan, um, Pius, Marcus, or I might be saying this completely wrong because I have no idea how they actually pronounce them. Um, 
Arealis, Severus, Thrush, and uh, Deasis, Valerian, and um, I don't even know how to say that one. You want to attempt it. Dioslatin. Um, were the ten, um, the ten ones in God said that there will be ten. Uh, he talks about that there will be ten days that you, if you'll pursue and go through it. This was a time where this church age got no rebuke from God whatsoever because Satan was attacking the, this church age like crazy and martyring the Christians mm-hmm. and killing them and hunting them down and 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 delimiting them and stake and burning them at the stake and feeding them to lions, things like that. And then um, this this church age we talked about. Um, Last week, what God gave it no rebuke. God gave it all praise. Satan began to try to um, intimidate them, scare them, but it ended up not working out well because in the end, because Satan realized, hey, attacking the church from the outside caused the church to actually mm-hmm. get closer, and they grew and became unified, and they, it actually made the church grow. Um, then the next church age is Pergamum, and the word Pergamum means elevated or married. And the, the, the Pergamum church was when Constantine, a Roman from Rome, he had a vision of Jesus, and he said that he wanted to now um, take in Christianity. But he didn't just take in Christianity and lose the false um, paganism. He brought Christianity and intermixed it with Roman paganism. Mm-hmm. And the church went along with it because it was better than getting martyred and killed from what from what they thought. I mean, hey, they were getting killed and burned alive and um, all this stuff. And so he actually began to embrace Christianity and embrace Christ. But the problem with that is, is he embraced it and mixed in paganism with Christianity. And it was um, compromise that the church went into. They married. That's why Pergamum means marriage. They married uh, into the, the church, married into the world. And then another guy I talked about came into this was a guy named Augustine. The reason I'm going back over him quickly is because he literally taught so many heretic teachings that that many in the church world, that even in the Protestant church world today, is still messed up with, um, is is his teachings. He brought in, um, he was a Manichaean, which was a Gnostic Buddhism and Zophorism combined with a guy named Manny and made his own religion. Then Augustine decided instead of being a, a Manichaean that he wanted to be a Roman Catholic. So he joined in and became Saint Augustine, and he taught uh, absolute predestination, that God decides who will be saved and who will be doomed, and there's nothing you can do to change that. Either you're going to be one that's saved or you're, or you're not, and no matter what you do, you can't change it. Um, if you're a good person, don't change anything if God says you're going to be doomed. He also, with with absolute predestination, became eternal salvation. Then two went hand in hand. That if you were one of the ones that were chosen to be saved, then you were eternally saved, and there's nothing you could do to lose that eternal salvation. But if you were one of the ones that God had chose to be eternally damned, then there was nothing you could do to save yourself or to be saved. Um, then uh, did you did you say that that was the Baptist Church? Well, we're getting there. Now, that oh. began with Augustine. Who oh, was, that's my mistake. Who was Manichaean, and um, and then, which was Gnosticism, Buddhism, Zophorism. He mixed those ideologies into already Roman paganism that had mixed into the church. So now you've got Roman paganism, Christianity, Buddhism, Gnosticism, and Zophorism all combined into the church. So when all that came into the church, the Holy Spirit left the building. He left the church 
uh, and the church ceased to see miracles. The church ceased to um, heal the sick and raise the dead and to cast out devils and and to work in the gifts of the spirit. It went. The church began to go what we would call into the dark ages. He mm-hmm. um, he taught that ma- that man has no free will, and we know for a fact the Bible plainly says that we have free will. Mm-hmm. Um, he said that no one cannot know whether they are saved or not saved. Um, that God commands impossibilities. He taught that God will tell you that you have to be holy and righteous, but you never can. Um, which if it, there's people that still teach that today. He taught the supreme authority of the Roman church that if the Pope was God on the earth, he was God in the flesh on the earth. And um, he taught about purgatory, that you could pray people out of purgatory, praying for the dead. Uh, he taught that if you don't baptize an infant, then they will go to hell. He taught sex of any kind is sinful. Um, even if you're married, it is sinful. Um, so he taught that the gifts of healing, prophecy, and tongues have ceased, that they are no longer uh, needed in the church. And um, he also is the one that took out parts of the Bible that talked about the giants coming down and intermixing with um, humans. He, he's the one that changed that and began to say that, that no, that, that did not happen. So Augustine, um, he brought in so many heretic teachings into the church. Um, and there's many pro- Protestants today, um, especially Calvinists, that consider him to be one of the theological fathers of, of um, the church. Um, and so we'll get to the reason why in just a second. But this week we start back on Thyatira, the next church. This is the church that has went plummeted deeper and deeper into Roman Catholicism. They are in full bloom of the Calvinist belief. In yeah, this, well, in this well Calvin came later, but mm-hmm. Calvin took a lot of this. I believe this would be the Augustine, I guess you would say, believe. But Thyatira is the continual sacrifice church, and that's what the name Thyatira literally is translated as continual sacrifice. And this church began in 607 A.D. Um, when Boniface the Third was made the first pope. Um, this time... Uh, is where the church plummeted in what we call the Dark Ages. And a lot of people know about the Dark Ages. You see a lot of movies about knights and and all the knights fighting and all the war that was going on with the Knights Templars and all these things going on. This was the Dark, the dark Ages of the church. This is when the church had become so politically rich and so powerful that it controlled the world and the church literally controlled the kings. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the Pope controlled the kings. They were all tied in together, but the, the church was no longer actually even a religious establishment. It was actually a political power and it was ruling the world at the time. And um, this this church is a continual sacrifice means that they believe that you had to go to the priest and you had to continually make atonement for your sin, just like it did in the, in the Old Testament. And they pretty much replaced the finished work of Jesus and said, hey, you still got to go to a a father and you've got to make um, so many Hail Marys and such and so forth and took away the finished work of Jesus Christ that the veil was rent when Jesus died on the cross so that we could go to Jesus ourselves boldly and we could make... um, we could make petition to God and pray and ask for forgiveness ourselves. We no longer had to go and make a, a Hail Mary's and talk to a priest in order to get forgiveness anymore. But the church had brought this now back. So the church, now Satan, knowing that he couldn't attack the church on the, on the outside, 
decided I'm just going to join the church. And it, and it began to work because the church stayed in a very long time in what we call the dark ages of the Thyatira um, time. And so the priests entered the temple making atonement for the sins of the people. Um, and Jesus said that we no longer have to do that, that he became the final sacrifice once and for all of our sins. And now we're not only, um, we're not only forgiven, we're justified by the work of Jesus Christ. You all know what the word justified means? Justified, never sin. <laughs> yes, that's what we call it. Just as if I would never sin. So Jesus now not only forgave us of our sins, but Jesus now, he comes and he delivers us from our sins. He breaks the stronghold of, of the sin of the, our flesh and gives us power to be free from the curse of sin. And so he justifies us. And so... Um, when I, uh, after Augustine began to bring those things into the church, um, the church became such a corrupted, greedy, governmental controlled thing that they would even tell people that they could buy, the, buy their way into heaven by giving the church a large amount of their yearly wages. You could literally buy your ticket to heaven. You just have to give the church a certain amount of money. And um, if I Some remember right, they come through there and said that you could even buy your loved ones that have passed on already uh, their well, their way out. Yeah, and you mm -hmm. could you could pray for them. Um, you could pray for the dead um, and give some money to the church and try to get them out of purgatory. <laughs> and um, it was just so, the church world was so corrupted with money and greed, and so um, they were. It, it had become just an evil empire. And then the next church age that God addresses is the church age of Sardis. And the word Sardis means the escaping ones or the ones that have that came out or were coming out. And the Chartist church age began in 1520 AD. Um, and so this is when a man named Martin Luther, who was a monk, uh, wrote a thesis called The 95 Things Wrong with the Catholic Church. And he nailed it up on the door of the Catholic Church. Um, what happened was, is because he was a monk, he had a, he had rights to a Bible, and so he was able to read the Bible when most normal, uh, modern day people could not. And so, as he began to just really study the Bible out for himself, he began to realize that there were many things that the Catholic Church was teaching that was unscriptural, and it did not have any um, scriptural basis whatsoever. And so, um, he came under conviction of God. And he wrote a thesis, and he nailed it on the, the door of the Catholic Church, the 95 things wrong with the Catholic Church. And um, this began what we call the Great Reformation, the time of the coming out of the Catholic Church to where God began to bring the church out of the heresies and the heretic teaching that went on from Augustine um, and that he had brought into the church. And so around the same time, there was a man named William Tyndall, and, and if you look at your Bibles, if you have Bibles, you'll probably see his name on a lot of them, and it'll say Tyndale Bible, because he owned a printing press. And around the same time, he decided to use his printing press to begin to translate Bibles into English so that people would be able to read the Bible themselves. So God began to work behind the scenes, and people began to... Martin Luther began to tell people the church is teaching you wrong. The church is teaching you false doctrine. And he began to call out the 95 things wrong that they were teaching. And then around the same time, William Tyndale 
decides that he's going to start printing people their own Bibles out. Which, by the way, the Catholic Church, it was you, you were not allowed to own books and Bibles. They wanted you to stay stupid and ignorant so that, you, so that they can, because if you stay ignorant, they can control you. Mm-hmm. And the Bible, the Bible says that God's people perish for lack of knowledge. Mm-hmm. And so the same trick is being used by the enemy today. People don't read the, the Bible. They do not read the Word of God. They do not um, read. They don't study uh, to show their self-approved unto I God. Had a, I literally, I was at a, a lady's house that was a Catholic, and she told me that it was good for people not to read the Bible. And just take the, the the word of the the priest or whoever is telling them what the word is is translated to, because they form so many different opinions. When they when people begin to read it, they get it they get it all mixed up and messed up and and confused. Yeah, they they and a lot of times if people if people will really begin to read the Bible for themselves and not just you know regurgitate what they've heard over and over again. Uh, and rightly divide the scriptures. Uh, you can't open up a book and, and turn it to chapter 10 verse, and, and, and start reading on the third sentence and say, hey, I know what That's this right. book's all about. You have to rightly divide the word of God. And so God's people perish for lack of knowledge. And this is where the church age was there. No one was getting healed. That's why there were so many people dying of plagues and things during the dark ages. Why? Because the, there was no power in the church to bring healing. The spirit of God had, a, had left the church because they, the church had brought in paganism, and the church had brought in false doctrines and lies and corruption. And so the Spirit of God will not dwell in that type of atmosphere. He won't stay in an unclean uh, temple. Yeah, and as I, as I was looking through this stuff and studying as we was going through, it uh, it made me almost be thankful that we was born in this age and time, like when the Holy Spirit is actually active in the churches, and because, you know, we went through and, uh, and, and had viewed some of the, you know, Catholic Catholic churches and stuff in other places and it's always so it just seems so dead and so legalistic and, and not of anything that I know of God and so you know as I was reading through some of these dark ages stuff it just made me thankful for us being in this time we oh actually, it was a terrible time to live it was awful yeah. they, um, they called uh, King Henry VIII's um, daughter it was called Bloody Mary because she killed so many Protestants um, murdered and massacred. I mean, uh, so many Protestants um, because they wanted to come out of Catholicism. And and here's the thing: there's there's a church, there is a charismatic church movement now that is trying to take over the seven mountains of 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 politics and government and media and all these things that they said that they're going to, to make the world turn holy. Well, here's the thing about it. Oh, that sounds good, but that's Satan's way of doing things. Satan says, let's go in and integrate into everything, and let's put my people in every uh, walk of life. Let's put them in politics. Let's put them in movies. Let's put them in, um, in media, all these things, and, and, and kind of infiltrate and take over. But, but Jesus says a different way. Jesus says, come out from among the world and be separated unto God, holy and acceptable which is your reasonable service. Jesus doesn't tell us to integrate into and try to trick people into following God and force the world to be holy. God says that he, that, we, that, pe- that we're supposed to go out and let people know that God can heal, that he delivers, that he sets free, that um, know that God is a God of holiness, and then tell them, hey, you need to come out from the world, not integrate into the world, which is what the church had done. 
and they had brought in all these different heresies that, that had came in. But between Martin Luther and William Tyndale and, and others, it began to break hold of the Catholic Church's hold over the world. And then, um, speaking of King Henry VIII, he actually was a, a Catholic king, but he actually helped the Protestant movement a lot um, by the own lust of his, his flesh without even realizing it. Now, I guess that goes with the scripture, what the devil means for evil, God always makes good. Amen. But he wanted to divorce his first wife, and the Catholic Church refused to allow him to do it because he wanted to marry um, Anne Bolin. He wanted to he wanted to marry her and and leave his first wife, and the Catholic Church refused to allow him to do it. So he got so angry and mad about it that he pulled out of the Roman Catholic Church and started the Church of England, and um, so that the, that they would quit controlling him and he could marry whoever he wanted to marry. And that actually helped the cause because it was during that time that Martin Luther and all those were were telling people the truth and telling people to come out from the Catholic Church, and but and that lost some of Romans' hold and control because it would it it became a big break in in their hold, and so it, then it began to to tumble a little bit, and because of this great Reformation, the ones that were escaping and coming out, because of it, we see America was formed, um, America. Um, became formed because as people began to break away from this Catholic control and this false um, church, they wanted religious freedom, and they didn't want England controlling them anymore, and they didn't want Rome controlling them anymore. And so this is where this, this, this is why they began looking for a place to where they could have religious freedom, um, the Puritans, the Protestants, and things like that. The problem is that the Protestant church left Rome, and I, I preached a message a long time ago that says... Um, when you come out of Egypt, you have to get Egypt out of you. And that's the problem with them is when they escaped out of the Roman Catholic paganistic um, interblending, they didn't leave behind all the paganistic ideals and all their paganistic customs. And they brought some of them back into America with them. And the church had still not had the Holy Spirit given back out again like it had in Acts chapter 2. So God tells this church in Revelations, he said, you have a... A reputation of being alive but you're not truly alive yet and that's because they had came out of the dead dark age church but they had not yet been refilled with the holy spirit again and become the church that was on fire for god which brings us to the best church age yet which was the church of philadelphia brotherly love yes the word philadelphia means brotherly love and the reason that it was called that is because this church age began somewhere between 1750 and the 1900s. And it's ca characterized by brotherly love because as they began, came out of the Catholic Church, they began to plant America, and, and, and they began to read the Bible. They now had Bibles in English. So as people began to read the Bible for themselves, I'll say that again, as people began to read the Bible for themselves, they began to want to be sanctified. They began to want to be cleansed by God. And so they began to start teaching about justification and sanctification. And they began to start teaching about living right and holiness. And as they began to start preaching holiness and sanctification and living right, something amazing happened. And it was the Azusa Street Revival and the Welch Revivals began to happen and break out all over the world. 
as the church began to read the Bible themselves and teach that you're supposed to live for God and, and live a dedicated, sanctified, which means set apart. Sanctification means set apart for God's special use, an instrument that is set apart for God to use. It would be the same word as Nazarite in the Bible. They were men that were set apart for God's special use. Um, and so as they began to teach those things, a revival began to spark all over Europe and the British Isles. Um, That's where old Smith Wigglesworth, he's come up in this era. Oh, yeah, all the all the mighty uh, men of God that you hear about, all the, the great evangelists and big tent revival evangelists and all the uh, of our, our fathers of faith from from our generations, uh, they came up during this era. And what happened is, is it began to spark a revival. And in Joel chapter 2, it says, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, says the Lord, in the last days. He was like, your young men shall see visions, your old men shall dream dreams. On your maidservants and manservants alike, I will pour out my spirit, says the Lord. And then he says, the former and the latter rain. Um, together I'll pour out. We saw the former rain in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost when God poured out His Spirit upon all flesh. Now we're seeing the latter, the second outpouring that God spoke of that took place in the time of the Church of Philadelphia. This was the, the latter rain outpouring of God to where it hit and went all over the world. And the Bible says, you know, even your servants and your women alike, I'll pour out my spirit. And that's what I love about the word of God is it's so detailed that in the Azusa Street Revival in 1906, a black man and a woman preacher <laughs> began to get together and he came to her and said, have you noticed that the Bible talks about the Holy Spirit and speaking in other tongues and, and the gifts of the Spirit, and, and, and it's not done in the church. Why is it not done in the church if the Bible talks about it? So they began to start having prayer meetings in an old abandoned warehouse. And these prayer meetings began to kick off, and they began to intercede and intercede. And the, the woman pastor was the first to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And then after uh, her, William Seymour, the, the African-American man. And now you have to realize this is during a time of slavery. So therefore, fulfilling the second part of Joel chapter 2, that in the last days, says the Lord, even on your servants and your maidservants and on your women alike, I will pour out my spirit, says the Lord. So what does God do just to make sure that that prophecy is not just fulfilled, but fulfilled in complete detail? He lets that revival begin with a servant, a man, an African-American man and a woman. And so they began this great outpouring. People flocked to Azusa Street, California, from all over the United States and the world to see what was happening at this place. People were healed. People were being filled with the Spirit. It was amazing. There was people that wrote wrote about it, and they talk about how um, people that were very racist, they would hear about it, and they didn't even know it was a black man that had begun it. And they would walk in, and one man said he walked in when he saw that it was a woman and an African-American man that were running it, he, almost, he started to turn around and walk off, and he immediately was knocked to his face by the Spirit of God and began to weep and cry and repent. This wow. move of God shook the whole world. It changed the whole world. Mm -hmm. uh, the Welch Revival and, and the Azusa Street Revival, I get excited when I talk about it, literally changed the whole world. And we went to Azusa Street, California, and um, L.A., Gage, and... Some of us went, yeah. and it's nothing 
Like it is a it is a nothing place that you would never think nothing about. Mm-mm. We went there and like there was nothing there but a sign that said Azusa. No, <laughs> it was it was it reminded almost like of just a street in downtown Birmingham. Yeah, it was so nothing. It even had a homeless person come up and uh, we prayed with her. Yeah, we prayed with her there. Yeah, um, that um, as you were talking, I was just thinking about it. It was like California's now a days is is. It was bad then. Well, let's just face it; it's pretty pretty rough now. So for it to be in the birthed in such a it, such a state in, a, in an old old warehouse um, is where it began and th- so what happened is with these great revivals began to pour out and churches began to be planted all over the United States and the world missionaries began to be birthed and 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 spread all over the United States and the world the um, they began to put in all, all your charismatic churches all your uh, spirit-filled churches began to be birthed all over the world and then uh, all the generals of faith, man, uh, like he was talking about, uh, Wigglesworth and Billy Sunday and, um, gosh, my mind just went blank, uh, Catherine Kuhlman and Mary Simpleton McPherson. And um, there's so many uh, generals of faith that were that were birthed because of this great revival. And, and gosh, there's so much that happened because of this revival. This, is, this, this Latter-day Revival literally spun us into end-time prophecy. It was because of this that end-time prophecy began to spread out. And when Joel's prophecy was fulfilled, this great outpouring of the Holy Spirit began people getting saved all over the world. So the gospel was preached all over the world just as God prophesied that it would be. And um, and the Spirit of God was um, been poured out. This caused... Isaiah 66 is prophesied to be fulfilled that Israel became a nation again in one day. Uh, Matthew 24, when Jesus says that nation will go against nation and kingdom against kingdom, um, then that's the first of birth pains. World War One, World War Two, uh, that the Jews will be persecuted and killed throughout the world um, with Hitler and the Nazi regiment um, that fulfilled that part of the prophecy. That um, so that the, the Israel bloomed again. Uh, this began to start the birth pains. Um, when God began to, to pour out His Spirit upon the earth, that's when the birth pains began to take place. Then in Daniel it says, Daniel locks some of these words up and some of these um, things won't be revealed until the end. And then we see it was in 1947 that the Dead Sea Scrolls were found. Um, and it was 1947 that the United Nations was formed. And the Bible talked about a global government beginning to try to form. Um, 1948, Israel. And then... Um, so from the from the beginning of this Welch revival and these British revivals and the Azusa Street revival up until the 1960s, um, revival was birthed everywhere. Some of us are old enough to have been come up at the very tail end of the last bits of the spew of, of the fire of God. Um, that came from this great move of God and this great revival. So you hear people all the time talk about how the Bible says in the last days there'll be a great revival. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and they're talking about Joel, the book of Joel, where it says, in the last days I'll pour out my spirit, the former and the latter. Well, we know that that happened in Acts chapter 2 because Joel is an Old Testament prophet. So he was prophesying because Peter got up. We know that that's when that happened because Peter got up and said, this is what was prophesied by the prophet Joel, that in the last days, saith the Lord, I'll pour out my spirit upon all flesh. But they said the former and the latter. And so that was the first outpouring. Then there was a second outpouring that happened 
in the Great Awakening is what that was called. The Church of Philadelphia was the Church of Great Awakening. And God gave this church a promise, and this is what I want us to talk about and get to tonight. The Church of Philadelphia, God gave this church a promise. He said, I will save you from the time of testing that's coming upon this whole earth. That's what he tells them. I will save you from the time of testing that's coming upon the whole earth. This time of testing that he's referring to is the tribulation period. He's talking about the time of tribulation that is coming to the earth. He tells this church age, you're going to be saved from that time of testing. And so then we're going to get to the next church age, and I'll tell you why we believe it began in the 60s. And it will make perfect sense. The church was on fire. The church was spreading the gospel, planting churches, sending out missionaries and evangelists all over the world. The fivefold ministry was in full swing. Apostles, prophets, teachers, evangelists, um, pastors. And then the Laodicean church came about. And the Laodicea means... The people's opinion. Yes, the people's opinion or the people's opinion rule. That's what the word Laodicea actually translate as, as the people's opinion. And this is this this is something that God revealed to me myself one day as I was reading about it, is the Six-Day War happened in 1967. Mm-hmm. I was studying the Word of God um, one day, and God said, look up what else happened in 1967 because we know 1948, Israel became a nation. 1967, the Six-Day War, and that is when Israel uh, took up back over Jerusalem from um, the Gentiles, and um, and they began to be able to, to rule Jerusalem themselves. And so God was like, look at what else happened in the church world in 1967. And so I, I, I looked it up, and I found out that the seeker-friendly church movement began in 1967. And um, this church started by them polling people and sending out actual polls, asking people their opinion on what the church should be like, um, how the church should be ran, what they should offer. What, to, what would you do? What What do you want to see when you get in there to get you in the doors kind of thing? Pretty much. What do you want the church? Yeah, what would, what would make you want to come to church? What mm. do you think the church should offer that it's not offering? What do you think the church should do that it shouldn't do? So they were asking the world how to run God's house instead of, asking God how to run his house, which is written plainly in his word. Which is partly, Heather, an answer to your question, why don't the churches teach this? This, this is not something that people want to hear about. They don't want to hear we're in the Laodicean church age. Uh, they, they, every, they want things to stay upbeat and happy. And, and yeah, we got a great revival. It's a great move of God about to happen and fixing to take place. And, and that's that's what keeps the seats full. And we're taught as pastors to do that, to keep people motivated, fired up, and, and keep the seats full and keep people coming to church. And yeah, the, they, they, but here's the thing. Here's what's crazy. In the 50s and the 40s, it was a normal thing for your family to go to church. Absolutely. Even if the men did not even live right, they took their children to church. It was a normal thing. Yeah, even in the 90s. And they thought they thought... Well, that was in your family. They thought that if you went, they thought, you know, you just go to church. It's just what you did. But in the 60s, as they began to ask people their opinion, the thing about that is, is it didn't make the church grow. It made mega churches grow. But the church in full 
went into a decline and people now go less and less than they ever have um, because now the ones they may go to one that makes them feel like that they're at a big uh, concert or that they're at a big show that you can go you can stop at the bookstore you can buy you some things at the bookstore you can, you can stop and get you a sandwich you can pick up the painting that uh, yeah you can happened. pick up yeah the painting that they painted during uh, service which that's kind of cool when people do I that mean, I mean I like that it does catch my eye when you watch it in a video but but I mean, that, that's the thing. It, it, it did not cause the church to grow, and it did not try, cause the church to grow spiritually at all. It caused a great decline. Amen. Because before the 60s, you didn't have any of the sinful things that are going on uh, that began to start happening in the 60s. For instance, let's, let, let's do, say this. After the 60s, free love movement, the hippie movement, the 60s and the 70s, then due to the free love movement, then you had abortion that suddenly became legal. Prayer was taken out of school in 62. They took the prayer out of school. Then it went from children chewing gum being the biggest problem to suicide, teen pregnancy, now school shootings, um, things like that. Uh, as they took prayer out of school and they began with the free love movement and the, and the let's do whatever we want to hippie movement, all of a sudden then you begin to see that AIDS then um, becomes an epidemic. Um, the, everything literally went downhill. Why? Because when the church decided to ask people their opinion in order to grow in size and number, instead of doing it the way God taught the church to grow, God told them, how do you get the church to grow? You go out and you do the Great Commission. You go into all the world and you preach the gospel. You lay hands on the sick. You cast out devils. You, you freely you've been given for, I mean, freely you've been given, so you freely give to people. And so God told us that the way you, you that you grow the church is by one-on-one relationships with people and praying for people and working in power. But the difference is to work in the power of the Holy Spirit, you have to actually be filled with the Holy Spirit. To work in the power of the Holy Spirit, you have to actually live a dedicated life and live a life worthy of your call. And men wanted a cheap way to grow the church without doing it with sweat and tears of intercession, fasting, and living a holy, sanctified life. So let's entertain people. But the problem is, is when you entertain people to get them to come to church, you have a bunch of anemic, sick, spoiled people, and you have no disciples. That's a good analogy. Weak-rooted. Weak-rooted. They have no roots. They have no, they're no, no discipline, no discipleship. And why would they when they can go to the church down the road mm-hmm. and they can get they can hear whatever they want to hear? Put a big old smile point. on their face and, and get them buttered up and ready for that role that they're going to have a, whenever they do their Sunday dinners. There also became a man um, named... Um, uh, that began to bring that name John Calvin that began he brought five of the teaching of Augustine that was in the Catholic Church he brought it back into the church and he began to teach five of Augustine's teaching which was eternal salvation and predestination that you're predestined to go and you're eternally saved if you're predestined he began to um, teach five of them it's called the tulip of Calvinism uh, that he brought back into the church and this began to to feed the the taught to people that you can do whatever you want to and go to heaven. Uh, the greasy grace gospel, the gospel that teaches us that if we say a prayer when we're three years old, that we can go out and murder people, molest children, do whatever we want to. And because we said a prayer at three, once we're saved, we're always saved. But most people don't realize that to say that you believe in eternal salvation is to say you believe in predestination because those two go hand in hand and you cannot 
take one without the other because they were made up for one. They were made up by Augustine, and then they were brought back into the church by Calvin. And if you're going to take someone's made-up doctrine and believe it, then you have to believe the whole doctrine. And they did, he didn't just preach eternal salvation or once saved, always saved. He preached predestination and eternal salvation. He taught that you're, that some people are predestined to go to heaven. Some people are not predestined to go to heaven. If you are, you cannot. If you're predestined to go to hell, there ain't nothing you can do to be saved. So if you're going to believe eternal, you're going to believe the once saved, always saved eternal salvation, you have to believe predestination too. To believe one without the other is just, once again, making your own religion. Um, because if you're going to believe Calvin and you're going to believe Augustine, then you've got to believe the whole tulip, the whole of what they taught because they, they worked hand in hand together. And so people wonder, you know, why does it say that? What does the Bible say? Well, the book of Jude, I can quote offhand, says that some ungodly people wormed their way into the churches, teaching that God's marvelous grace allows us to live immoral lives. But the punishment to these people have, that taught this have already been recorded long ago. It says that they're that they are literally um, f they are literally pushing people off the edge. They are li they are literally like uh, wrecking the boat. Is what it says. It literally says they're wrecking the boat. They are they are the drivers and they're pulling their whole boat down and causing the whole boat to sink. And so uh, the whole book of Jude, which is Jesus's brother is condemning the people that taught that God's marvelous grace allows us to live a wicked lives. Um, they say, Dan, Denise says, what about the sinner's prayer? The one that goes, Jesus, I invite you into my heart. Is that biblical? You know what, Denise? It, here's the thing. Jesus, this is one thing Jesus says. He says he don't like um, when we have give him lip service, that he wants us to pray with our whole heart and from our heart. And when we just do a little copied prayer, the problem with that, and you may say, well, what about Jesus? He, he told people this, you know, thy kingdom come, you know, thy will be done as earth. Jesus was giving, showing you how to pray. That's right. He was saying you start off with my Father which art in heaven, hallowed be your name. You start off with praise, telling him how awesome he is. Um, then, you bego then you go into the next part. You know, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Then you go into saying, God, whatever your will is, I accept that first. And, um, and then you begin to ask him for the things you need. Um, and then you ask him to forgive you as you tell him that you've forgiven others. So Jesus was giving us a guideline on how to pray. He wasn't telling us to repeat after me and say this. Um, so when we become born again, most people think that becoming born again is just saying a prayer. It's not just saying a prayer. What it, being becoming a born again is realizing that you are a Gentile. You are someone whose very DNA and very spirit it was born not of God. This is all found in the book of Romans very easy. You were from a wild tree. You didn't belong to God. And so when you become born again, you are asking God to adopt you and to make you into a completely different person. You are telling God, come into me and live inside of me so that I can be righteous because your righteousness will now come into me and make me righteous. So when you become born again, it's the biggest miracle that has ever been done in the history of the world because it is, and people have said that when I was a kid and I didn't comprehend it, but it's, it's, it's a DNA changer. He's a spirit, so his spirit is DNA, but it, it, the Bible talks about his spirit getting into the marrow of your bones, which is where your DNA is made. And so it, it's literally the Spirit of God comes in you and lives in you 
and he begins to transform who you are and you become a completely different person. You change the way you walk, you change the way you talk. Uh, it's so much more than just a prayer, Jamie says, and yes, it is. It's a life change. I've seen many people say prayers and get in the altar and they leave and they're still sin sick. If you want to know if you've been born again, I'll tell you, your want tos will change. That's something my grandfather used to always preach. When you really get born again, you won't want to sin anymore. You will get up and you will suddenly want to serve God because what was natural to you before was to sin. But when you become born again, what becomes natural to you is to serve God. What becomes natural to you is to do what is right. And so uh, most people that say think that they're born again, they're not truly born again because nobody told them, Romans 10, 15, says how beautiful are the feet of those that preach the gospel because how will people know unless someone tells them mm. and when preachers began to preach calvinistic and augustine doctrine they began to tell people that you just say a sentence or even some it would even say shake the preacher's hand and you'll be saved but the fact of the matter is the bible says those that endure till the end shall be saved to work out our salvation with fear and trembling but he's jesus said you must be born of the spirit you must be born again and they didn't teach people what it meant to be born again so how can you have faith to believe that when i go down here and pray i'm going to be a different person when i get up if the preacher does not tell you or though you don't read the word of god yourself and understand that it is a born again experience that you actually are saying I'm giving up who I am and I want you to change me into a completely different person so you come up different but um, when the Lord when the Lord called me and uh, I was at, at a, a church service and the Lord called me and and, and the spirit moved on me and I, w- I it was such an emotional moment and and it's not about the emotion but if the emotions not there then it's the spirit drawing you you have to be drawn you, by the spirit I was in a state of shaking Whenever I called on Jesus, when I said the name Jesus, I it, it I broke down and hit my face, and I asked God, "Forgive me, Lord. I want to be born again." It was a, it was a prayer between me and the Lord. And you never forget. And I, I knew something changed inside of me. There was a moment with God where something inside of me was different, and and it my want tos, and nobody told me that. I, it was not explained to me. That, but my, I didn't want to be the same person anymore. I didn't want to act the same way. And whenever I did do things that I wasn't supposed to do, my conscience now that I didn't have before would tell me I did wrong, and I, I would, uh, you know, begin to, to change the behaviors and the customs he, that he, I was raised. He in. wrote the law on your heart when you become born again, and but. Um, let, let's go a little into the latest since we're running close on time. It says. That this church, the Laodicean church, the word Laodicea is made up of two words. The first one is laos, which means people, and dikazo, which means a personal opinion. So the, this church was the most apostate church of any of the seven churches that God spoke to, even the one from the Dark Ages, even the one that Augustine was in um, and Constantine. The Bible talks about the Laodicean church as the most apostate church of them all. Um, out of the seven churches, they are lukewarm. 
Uh, he says, I will spew you or I will throw you up out of my mouth. So they're not hot and on fire for God. And they think that they're doing good because they're rich and they're increased with goods because they're wealthy, because there's a lot of people that go there because they got good music, because they got good light effects, because they got good bookstores, because the church teaches good um uh, sermon series is and let's go to the movies and and um and that's so that's annoying to me mm-hmm. um at the movies let's watch a part of a movie and let's let's teach people good moral grounds by using the world as a compass mm-hmm. when we have the word of god as a compass because that's what people like people like going to the movies so let's turn the church into the movies why do churches have to offer this because they don't have the power of the holy spirit in them to set people free. They're not getting rid of depression. They're not praying deliverance over anxiety. They're not getting people free from the wounds that they've had since they were a child. They're not offering freedom from their sicknesses and their diseases and casting out devils. So what do they do? Let's entertain the people and then them go home and still have problems with anxiety. Let's entertain them and then them still go home and battle depression. And then, then, then the whole church world is using medication to fix things that God told us to call for the elders of the church to anoint with oil, and the prayer of faith would heal the sick. And so the whole church world is is drugged up on pain medicines and, and antidepressant medicines and anti-anxiety medicines, and they're going to church and they're listening to some good music. And God says, hey, you think you're rich, you think you're doing great, you, you've, you've grew these big, huge mega churches, but here's what I think about you. I think you're miserable. I think you're poor, you're blind, and you're naked. So th- th- this letter to your church, fabulous architecture, million-dollar buildings, um, a human efforts and strength to secede. Um, this 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 church um, it happened in 1967 during the same time as the Six Day War. Um, the seekers of people it it began because the church is the salt of the earth. When it began to decline and what it was teaching was correct, and it began to let the world dictate the, the way the church was ran. The world began to fall apart, and that's why we see where we're at now in the world. That's why we see churches all over with with rainbow flags up everywhere. Um, that's why we see homosexual ministers being um, appointed as and ordained into ministry. Uh, all these things have taken place because we begin to ask people's opinion mm-hmm. over God's opinion yeah. of what the church was supposed to be like. And what does God tell this thing, this church? He said, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. You make me sick. You make me want to throw up. Um, but he says there'll be some. There'll be a remnant. And he said, with this remnant and the some, he said, if some of you will will be, get purified by the fire. And First Peter 1 and 7, that says that it's persecution, that um, the fire of persecution, that will divide who's really for God and who's not. Um but he says, if you'll get purified by the fire, if you'll put on white raiments, because he says he's coming for a bride without spot or wrinkle, if you'll anoint your eyes with eye salve, tears, and prayer, and you'll be repentative, he says, then I stand at the door and I knock. Mm-hmm. And if you if you come to the door and you, and you open it, then we'll sit down and we'll eat a meal together as friends. Um, and this is where it gets exciting. Then he tells this church age, I stand at the door and I knock. We can eat a meal together as friends and you'll get to sit with me on uh, next to my father on a throne. 
And then suddenly it says, and then I heard a voice from heaven that sounded like the sound of a trumpet that says, come up here. And then suddenly he was taken away into heaven and it shows the saints of God in heaven. And after chapter four, the word church is never mentioned again in the Bible. It talks about the Jews. It talks about the elect. It talks about the saints. They get saved, um, those that are persecuted, but it never uses the word church again. After it says, come up here, the church is never mentioned again in the Bible. And so um, I believe that that is the rapture of the church because the word harpazio means the catching away. Uh, come up here. He told Enoch in the Bible to come up here, and he snatched Enoch away. Um, they... Um, he snatched Philip away and caused Philip to be in one place and then another place. They used the word of snatching away. Um, Elijah was snatched away on a chariot uh, to heaven. And then, uh, so we see here in Thessalonians, it says, when the trump of God shall sound, the dead in Christ shall rise first, then we who alive or remain will be called up to meet him in the air. And then he says right here, come up. And they're called up. And so this church age we're at right now will be the ones to where either you can be the remnant, you can be the ones, um, and all throughout the Bible, remnant means 10%. He used 10% repeatedly. Uh, there was always a remnant. You can be the remnant that, said, that he says, come up here, and we'll get later into Revelation where there's a lot more people that end up dying and get um, during tribulation and get to go to heaven, but a small amount get to go to heaven in a remnant situation here where he says, come up here. And so, um, or you get to be the part of the church where it says that he disciplines and he corrects. And that's what tribulation is all about is correction and discipline. Mm -hmm. The whole idea of tribulation is to correct and discipline. And the Laodicea church says, I'm going to correct and discipline you. And so we see that the Laodicea church is the church that will be here during tribulation. But thank God there are some that he says will put on white garments and will sanctify themselves and get ready for his return. If I uh, if I got enough time, I want to just tell a quick story real quick. The other day I was talking to someone about uh, paying tithes, and they, they had a very specific reason for not paying tithes. And they said that, well, I feel like God told me to pay a certain amount uh, every 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 paycheck that I got, uh, not not the full ten percent. I just felt like he, he, he you know he said it was it's minus for bills. So this person was not uh, put, you know paying the full amount, which I'm not one to hark on uh, paying tithes by no means. But I looked at them and I said, he did tell you, he did speak to you, you you did hear the voice of God. It's 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 written right there in that Bible where it says to give ten percent. That's the difference in uh, the Laodicean church and the rest of these churches is they're, they're, they're going off the people's opinion. They're going off of emotions, feelings. Mm -hmm. I feel like God's telling me not to do what God tells me to do because <laughs> it's in the Bible. God clearly states it, and he could not be more clear. The Word was with God, and the Word was God, right? So if we believe in anything and The Bible any says, this, let every man be a liar, and the Word and, of God be the truth. Yeah, and I, I find that. You know, we kept talking about keywords like uh, 10% remnant, and it just that popped in my head, and I was like, there was, there's a connection there. It just, yeah, it just, that. it just so happens that it's only 10% of the actual church world actually pays tithes. That is a proven fact. 
And um, they say that if 100% of those that go to church actually pay their tithes in every church in America would be completely paid off and debt-free, that there would be no homeless people um, that didn't have um, food, uh, even around the world, that um, if 100% of those that, that attend church actually did what God said and give a tenth, which is what the word tithe means, if you want to know where the word uh, tithe comes from or why we know it's a 10% is because that is the word tithe is 10% um, then it would literally do because God's a genius and he knew that if we all gave 10% that it would fund the whole church and it would fund everything that the church is supposed to do help widows help orphans help poor people um, help spread the gospel of Jesus Christ and it just it's weird that throughout the Bible that a remnant equals 10% and it's just, it's funny that it's actually only 10% of the church world that actually gives to God. Yeah. Uh, and my grandfather used to always say this too. He used to say, you'll know when somebody's truly sanctified when their wallet gets sanctified. Mm -hmm. um, because people that, um, because the Bible says where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. And so if you are too greedy to give into the kingdom of God, then, you, then you're too greedy to get to go to the kingdom of God because that's one part in the Bible in Malachi where he tells um, them, you're a robber. Will a man rob God? I mean, I, don't, I think we quote that so much we don't think about it. Will a man rob God? No. Do, you, do you really think that you're going to rob God and then God's going to let you come to his house? Yeah, that's one of my favorite scriptures and, and, and chapters in the, in the Bible because it's the, one of the only places that it says that, God tells you to try me and say that I'm good. And really, they, it goes with all of the stuff that we're talking about that, that separates the Laodicean church age. It says they, you know, the Bible says that they will act religious, but they will reject the power that can make them holy. That, that's explaining, like, the Laodicean church age. And, and, you know, it's in the Bible what we're supposed to do, and it's right there. And if you'll just do it, God will show up and show that he's real, and, mm -hmm. and the Spirit is, is, is in the church, but people just make up their own version of and let me tell you something yeah. loving sinners is not delivering the sinners or your idea of loving jesus didn't just go love people and eat dinner with them jesus set them free jesus would go eat dinner with them with the sinner and then he would deliver the sinner he would they would be changed miraculously they would not be sinners anymore he would tell them go and sin no more and the church world now is let's love them all let, let's let's let them all come into the church which by the way is also anti-biblical he says not to let sins let that be named among the church even once mm -hmm. but he says they say let's just be nice and let's love everybody but loving everybody and accepting everybody's sins is not getting them free mm -hmm. from their sin it is not delivering them from their sin it reminds me of the parable that jesus said where if a neighbor comes and knocks on your door and says hey do you have any food are you hungry and thirsty and you say oh well go uh good luck have a nice night and leave them and let them go back hungry and thirsty you don't do that mm -hmm. and so how do we say we love this world and we love people and we accept everybody we're going to love them and accept everybody mm -hmm. but we don't help them get free from their sin, we if if you are if you are ex uh, part of a church that is accepting of people that are living in adultery and they're living in homosexuality and they're living in sin-based things, and you're saying the grace of God, the grace of God, well, you need to question yourself and ask why are they not getting free? If they from claim their to sin? be believers, then then how can they do that? Uh, now that we're, we're the, the world will come in with all kind of problems, but once you are born again and you claim to be a believer, you have to stop that behavior. Yeah, the Bible says to judge yeah. those inside the church that are that are living in sinful lifestyles. It says we can't judge those that are on the outside There's one um, thing because they're always can, sinning. You can always count on, and it, once I learned this, it helped me greatly. 
with everything else and all question. The, the, the Lord will never go against his word. Never. He will never say anything contrary. It won't be a little bit like it. It won't be almost similar to what he said. It will be exactly what he said in the word of God. It is unshakable and unchangeable. You can't change it. You can't change what the Word of God says. And I'll argue with anybody over the, when it comes to the Word of God. Mm-hmm. Me and my mom were laughing today. We were just talking about a Bible story of Lot and his daughters. And Mama said, how was he really dr- so drunk he didn't know what was going on? And I said, and she was like, I think that he had to have known. And I said, uh-uh. And, and uh, you know, because sometimes you just say stuff in conversation. And yeah. I said, no, Mom, because the Bible says that he didn't know what was going on. And I said, and the Bible don't lie. And she said, yeah, you're, you're right. I just can't comprehend how he couldn't have known that his daughters were raping him. Mm-hmm. And um, She's not been that drunk before, obviously. Yeah. Well, I, I don't think that she has. Um, Good but, for her. But she was she was questioning. She, I don't think she's ever been drunk. Uh, but she was questioning the mechanisms of how that would even work if you were in that bad of a situation. But we won't discuss that on here. Um, but I, she was saying, how could he possibly uh, that happened? I but about some weird things. But you know what? I mean, well, I mean, she, she taught me the Word of God when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. But it, you know, it, we. I have to remind myself of that when I'm, I think about things, and I say, wait a minute. If the Word says it, it don't matter what my opinion is. It's the Word of God cannot lie, and we know it cannot lie because it has been proven right over and over and over again. Everything that has ever prophesied has came to pass. So how do you know if you're a person looking for a church, if a church is is a good church or not? Well, first of all, you need to see if they do what Jesus did. Um, I'll have a lot of people say, man, I felt God move so strong. There was the power of God hit that church so hard. There was gold teeth appearing in people's head and oil flying out of the Bible. And and there was gold flakes falling from the sky. And I asked myself, when did Jesus ever walk into a room and gold flakes start falling from the sky? Mm-hmm. Or when did Jesus ever walk into a room and, and, and do circus shows for people? Mm-hmm. When you want to ask yourself, if God's there, if the presence of God is in a church, this is what you'll see. You'll see people getting delivered from demonic spirits. Mark 16, 17, and 18. You'll, These signs shall, shall follow those. These miraculous signs will accompany those who believe. They will cast out demons in my name. They will speak in new tongues. They will be able to handle snakes with safety, and if they drink anything poisonous, it will not hurt them. They will be able to place their hands on the sick, and they will be healed. And don't say that sometimes, come, and that don't mean that you're handling snakes. Snakes. Yeah. That don't mean you go pick them up and you say, sha la 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 That's not what that means. It means that if you're ministering to God and a snake comes up and bites you like it did Paul, you can just shake it off and keep going because you're you, the Holy Spirit's flowing through you. And um, Or if you happen to drink water out of the Nile River while you're in Egypt, mm-hmm. that you won't get any kind of um, poison, po- uh, bug, poison, or pestilence, and your doctor will be or amazed hold, hold that on. you don't have a parasite. Let's go back. Chip, what was that very first thing? What was the very first signs? They, they will cast out demons in my name. They will speak in new tongues. How you, many churches are still yeah, casting out demons? If, if that's first on the list, List that that it means it's important. That's important. Just because it's t- 2021 don't mean that God changed. 
Well, just yeah. the fact that it's 2021 means how much more we need to cast out demons. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's more de- demons have not left the building. Uh, demons are now just um, behind the pulpits. Yeah. Ooh, that was good. Tweet Ooh, that. That is good. Uh, demons uh, hadn't left the church buildings. They're just standing behind the pulpits, and they're standing behind choir robes and all that mm-hmm. now. Demons are still there. People still need delivered. People still need set free. And if you're not seeing that in your churches, ask yourself why. Because Jesus, everywhere he went, people got delivered. Yeah. Everywhere he went, people were healed. Um and we're supposed to do the same things that he did. And so the Spirit of God is still there. It, it, it happens. We see we see people delivered from demonic spirits every single week. Um, we see people healed every single week. Uh, so it's not that they've stopped. And I know that we just don't happen to live in a cesspool of people that need deliverance. It's everywhere. Mm-hmm. You sh- now, it's up to people whether they want to receive because there was people that wouldn't receive when Jesus was here. Yeah. He couldn't even do miracles in his own hometown because they didn't have any faith. They had unbelief. But if if anybody that wanted deliverance received it, anybody that wanted healing received it. Anybody that believed it was all a matter of if you had faith that you in Jesus Christ, it was boom. As long as you believed it, healing was possible. Demonic possession, gone. Any type of issue that you may have had, even today now, if you have the faith that it takes to say and cry out to Jesus Christ and say, I'm done. I want this out of me. I want my this fixed. Whatever you do, all you got to do is, what was Surrender. it, tear salve? A little bit of, little bit of uh, eye salve, is that what you call mm-hmm. it? Eye salve, cry out to Jesus. Because, I mean, it takes, uh, like, what was that woman with the issue of blood? She, she pushed through the crowd. If you can't even push two feet in front of you to the altar and, mm, and, and walk good. there and get down on your knees and ask ask. In a, in a air-conditioned church, please save me with a little bit of conviction. What do you think you're going to get out of it? Most people what, don't believe. And that's what I was going to say. That's what's wrong with, and that's what the Laodicean church has, has birthed, is the cultural Christian, somebody who thinks they know God just because they've they've been to church on Christmas or, e- or, or Easter. They're moral. Or yeah. They're moral. Easter. They're good people. And, uh, we and, don't call it Easter. No, yeah. yeah. Well, they do. And they've, you know, they deny the very power that could make them. They have a form of godliness, but deny the very power. And over the years that we've been in ministry, isn't it the church people that's always the hardest to reach? Oh, Lord, yeah, they're religious. They're religious people because they think if they're a moral person, then that everything's fine. But I just want to bring up real quick about these churches. Uh, Understand this, that Jesus Christ himself came to John. John was on an island, I forget the name of it. Patmos, yeah, and... uh, Understand this. Jesus Christ himself came to him in his victorious state. John had not seen Jesus since he was on the crucifixion, since he was crucified on the cross. Transfiguration. And and he was crying. Jesus cried out, say, take care of my mother. And next thing he knows, John is on an island praying. And boom, suddenly this voice like trumpets comes from behind him and it says, write down what you see. John's like, that's my best friend. Yeah, and send it to the seven (laughs) churches. And here's the thing. These are letters from Jesus Christ himself in the order that That is this kind of, these are so important. If you haven't like gotten to the point to where you need, absolutely need to understand these or you've gotten bored or haven't, or something has missed, check it out again. Really, you'll never hear this enough to where you get it in your head enough. There's there's no way that you can get too much of the word. You of can God. also find it in my book, The Seed War. 
I talk about the same Hashtag yeah. Seed War. That's what also. I was going to say, too. Uh, the link for that website that you can order a book is in the description of YouTube and Facebook. So just click it. It talks about the Antichrist, giants, the lineage, um, the DNA change, um, where the Antichrist would come from, his family line, all that good stuff. But it also talks about the church ages and the end time prophecy, things like that. That, um, but I guess we that is all, and I haven't seen any more yeah, questions. No, no questions. Greg said you'll comments. never outgive God. You want to talk, talk about the? Uh, I know we don't have a lot of time, but maybe we can bring it in next week or some. Uh, or mention it in the minor prophets how it also goes through the the church ages. Yeah, we'll try. That to is do that. just a. Oh, well, I seem to recall last week Gage said something about prophecy and uh, being revealed. If, if if he has anything on that. Um, yeah, we. I don't think we had enough time to really get into it. Maybe next week. But um, what are y'all's thoughts on what's happened in Israel? Basically, the the new government basically, you know, put a coalition together to narrowly throw out Benjamin Netanyahu, who's, who's been in power for the past twelve years, and I think they're preparing for the Antichrist yeah. um, to take over because one 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 of these guys which we haven't got to that yet, mm -hmm. but he is big buddies with uh, Emmanuel Macron, um, the French president. And if you hadn't listened to that guy, we will go into him further in uh, another podcast. But uh, that point's a big point to me. They're also um, Ashkenazi Jews uh, from America, from New York, both of these guys, mm -hmm. um, big business um owners, big, um, big money that have came and take over. And so, um, there's just, there's a lot to it, but I can tell you this, um, the Bible says to watch Israel mm -hmm. and, um, this, this is, this is a big flip and a big change. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I was going to say, like you mentioned it earlier, um, you know, you're, if you're watching the news in America, they're not showing the, the things that are happening in the Middle East. Okay. And, and there, there are things, there are big, you know, yeah. movements and, and, you know, Russia's dropping off bombers in Syria. Big things are happening every single day. I mean, there's been skirmishes over the last few weeks of Israel bombing in Gaza, yeah. you know, bombing the terrorist group Hamas. That's still happening. And it's different developments mm -hmm. every day. And they, yeah, and, and American news is, is more or less covering complete crap yeah, they all the time. Yeah. yeah. They so, keep you dumb. Look dumb. for the news behind the news. Yeah, it's yeah. there. Do, do a little bit of research, kind of like how we tell you to read your Bible and step outside of just hearing whatever someone tells you. And that then tune awesome. in to us next week. And if you can't get to the news, we'll bring the news yeah. to you. We'll try to get a prophecy dump going and uh, see what we can make happen and find out. Well, I'd like to thank everybody again for joining us one more time. Uh, if you'd like a book, you know how to get it. It's a great book. It'll open your eyes. We're doing this to try to get to people and get, get, to get people's eyes open. Well, come back and tune again next week and as we continue the unveiling. <laughs>